Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. But mother, income is good for you. Why is it? Uh, she said, you know, debits are good for you and credits are bad for you. And I said, why, why is income bad for you? She said, because you pay tax on it. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life and Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from a very special guest, Betty Williams in Austin, Texas. I know I've said this a few times, but you're really, truly going to enjoy this episode. Among just a few of the highlights, you're going to hear how Betty got interested in accounting and took a few courses at A&M to, quote, try it out at a time when ladies were only allowed to be registered at A&M under some very strict guidelines. You're also going to hear how she became the office for Two Schross there in Fort Worth and then eventually started her own practice later on. And I don't want to give it away, but if you're an animal lover, you have to listen in on the part where we get into a discussion of basset hounds. Yes, I said basset hounds. You're going to have to listen to it for yourself. Betty is a highly accomplished individual and has definitely helped chart the path for others in our great profession. Here we go with Betty Williams, CPA in Austin, Texas. Betty, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the show. You came very highly recommended by Jesse Dominguez there in Austin. He was a guest back in mid-April, I believe. Well, I thank an awful lot of Jesse, and I appreciate his telling you that I might be on this program. I feel very honored that I, to be so. Thank you. Yes, I, I feel very honored to have you on the show. He mentioned that you had a scholarship named after you there in Austin, and, and honestly, that was enough to pique my interest and see if you'd you know, come share your story. But then after you and I talked a little on the phone and you were telling me about your experience, you know, getting into school and going through school and getting started in accounting, it, it just it really became very interesting. So I'm really looking forward to this. Let's start at the beginning, as I do with most of the episodes. What initially led you to the profession in the first place? How did you decide to become an accountant? Well, early on, I had no interest in accounting. In fact, I got to thinking that the first time that I had to file an income tax return, I was baffled by it and wanted the accountant to help me when I was signing it. So that's what I knew about accountants at that time. I sort of have a destiny, I guess, to get into this profession, and it started with me working for a full professor at A&M. My husband had just gotten out of the Army. He had been in the Korean War, and uh, he decided to use the GI Bill and go to A&M. Well, 
we couldn't really support ourselves without my going to work. I'd already worked some. In fact, while he was overseas, I actually worked in my father's office and sort of a, a, an accountant. Uh, my mother had been doing it, so she gave me a little instructions on how to, to keep books. So um, I signed on as a someone who could handle the office there for this full professor in accounting at A&M. And pretty soon, I thought I liked what there was, and I started doing some tax returns while he was at another office, and he was kind of impressed. So he said, Betty, you have an aptitude for this. Why don't you uh, start taking some courses at A&M? Well, as you know, at that time, or you may not know, at that time, Texas A&M did not have any women students. In fact, the only way I could go was to go in the summers, and I had to have some contact with somebody at the university. Well, the latter was okay. Oh, and there was another proviso. I had to be registered in another college. Well, I had some courses at Del Mar College in Corpus Christi, so I was eligible that way, too. So I went that first summer, and sure enough, I really did like it. I made good grades, and I went the next summer and uh, took intermediate and and uh, senior accounting, and they didn't call it that then or now. But then my third year, I was privileged to take some, actually some college courses beyond that, and mostly in, in just discussions on things. And I really enjoyed it and decided that that's what I wanted to do and that I would probably need to go and get my four-year degree. Well, my husband and I at that time talked it over, and we decided that, oh, we'd go back to where my hometown, Corpus Christi, and I could go to school there. And so we took off to Corpus. Well, the accountant that I worked for there actually called some of his students that he had taught at A&M and said that I was going to come there and did they have any part-time work for me since I would be going to school and they said sure so I went to uh, Del Mar 18 hours and worked half time so I did really try to get myself going pretty good and, and I did and then I graduated from Del Mar there was an only two-year school and I got an associate's degree And then I enrolled in the University of Corpus Christi, where I could take some accounting classes and started doing that. And that's how I really got started into accounting. Sort of a Hmm. devious math, but it got me where I needed to be. (laughs) Were female students then not allowed at the time at Texas A&M? Only in the summer. As I say, you had to have some connection with the university. You could be a graduate, you know, child, or you could be someone connected with any of the faculty. And it was very good for me that I was with a full professor that taught there and had his own accounting firm. Okay. So, so, and I guess you enrolled in the University of Corpus Christi. A&M wasn't an option at that point. You were in Corpus. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did and Corpus had a, well, you know, they had a, a, a good accounting school there. And uh, I took the courses that I had. I already had 24 hours, so I didn't like very many hours. Just to carry on with that, if that's okay, I worked in what they called a 
I don't know. We were. I did a lot of proofing of financial statements. I did bookkeeping work that I was familiar with doing, and and then I also got into some tax prep. And I really liked that an awful lot. So I thought maybe that's you know what I would really like to do is be in some tax work. Well, I guess it was my about three years there or two and a half or something. And there, were whole, there was a group of people going from, from the firm and elsewhere, and we were all going to go together to take the CPA exam, which was I could do at the time because you didn't have to have 140 hours. In fact, you didn't have to have a degree, and I didn't have one at that time. So, Was this at Touche Ross? Or was no, it- I had not gone with Touche Ross. I was with a small national accounting firm named Fraser and Torbett. Their oh. main office was in Chicago. Okay. So I went up there and took the exam, and much to my great satisfaction, I passed it. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even have a degree yet. Oh, my gosh. And when I got back, everybody said, well, you must have taken the ladies' exam. So that's they kidded me about that. But at the, well, I shouldn't even brag on this, but at the time, I had one of the highest grades in the state, and the Texas Society recognized me and gave me a medal. <laughs> so, so I guess I did go to the ladies' exam. <laughs> wow. So you did eventually, uh, I assume, finish your degree, it sounds like. Yes, I, I several years later. Okay. okay. But I was working full-time then, so I only went to ninth school. What were the rules like back then? Were you recognized as a CPA upon passing, or did you? Yes. Did, did I was, you have to I was, Okay. I have my certificate here on the wall, and it said that I passed it. And one of the signatures on there was the secretary of TSCPA at the time, because I joined the Texas Society at the time, and his name is on my certificate. So, Wow. Wow. So now you had mentioned to me on the phone before that you worked at Touche Ross, one of the predecessor forms to what we know as Deloitte now. Yes. Was that where you went immediately after this smaller firm, or were there some moves in the middle? Well, actually, the firm I was with merged into into Touche Ross. Let's see, it was originally Touche Ross, Bailey, and Smart. And we always joked that they lost their Smart and became Touche Ross. But uh, we merged in there, I believe it was in 1967 is when that merger took place. And so I was with them until I left the firm in the 80s. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. And you moved out of Corpus at some point, though. Yes. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Okay. And was it the firm that that moved you? No. That time, my husband was with a retail store that, in a merger frenzy, uh, he was a general merchandise manager, and they decided to bring in their management. So he found a job with the Fort Worth company, and so he went to work there, and it was Touche Ross, actually, you know, I, I was wondering about if I could get a transfer, and hmm. they didn't have an office in Fort Worth. So one of the district managers for the Touche Ross said, we, we need to start an office in Fort Worth. Why don't you transfer up to Fort Worth, and let's see what we can do about meeting some of the firms there and so forth, because there was a great enmity between Fort Worth and Dallas, 
And so they felt like they were not getting a, a, a free, they couldn't get into doing audit work in Fort Worth area at that time. I don't know if it's, hmm. that's a, quite a few years ago. But anyway, they just kind of, that was my job. I still did work in Corpus Christi where I, you know, would fly down and work. And then also I would go to the Dallas office to help out when I didn't have any appointments in Fort Worth. Okay. Okay. And then, at that time, I was still doing some work in Corpus, and I'd been down there working with some of the clients down there, and I got a call, would I be interested in transferring to Austin? Well, I went home, went back, and I said to him, I've been asked if I would like to transfer to Austin, and he said, when can we leave? So... <laughs> <laughs> we moved back to Austin, and that's where I've been since. Oh, okay, okay. I, yeah, I want to. I want to move into your self-employment period and some other things, but so I don't have to come back so far, so to speak. I, I'm very ignorant about this, but I know things were much different for women entering the profession in the 50s and 60s. Obviously, <laughs> what do you feel like it's important for listeners to know about that time period, or what? What would you like to? I guess, point out about how it may have been a little different. Well, women really didn't have very many jobs. You know, they were teachers, nurses, and which, of course, was greatly skilled occupations. But there were very few women who had ventured into, oh, accounting, law, medicine, I guess, and engineering. But Rosie the Riveter kind of sped up the women in business when they found out women can do just about anything. So I think then through the 50s and to the uh, and to the 60s, it was very different for women. And one thing I can tell you about in, being in business in Texas as a married woman, I remember in the civics class I had in high school, my teacher said, or I think this was in college, he said, when we were talking about Texas history, he said, you know, there are two, in, in the Constitution, there are two people, two groups of people in Texas that have no rights whatsoever. That's married women and lunatics. So, and that was the way it was. I couldn't, even though I was a CPA in a public accounting firm, I couldn't go and borrow money. I couldn't, I had to have a credit card in my husband's name. So it was difficult for women in a lot of other respects other than in the professions back Ooh. then. You couldn't have a credit card in your own name. That's right. I was not aware. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Nope. And to have my husband's signature, if you joined a club, uh, a lot of times you couldn't join as a woman. That put a real handicap. For instance, the Rotary Club. I would get, the men in the office would go to Rotary every week, and that's where they met a lot of connections. Women weren't allowed to go to those. I'm a member of the Rotary Club now, but that club had, had not been uh, having women for quite a few years before that. So it, it was kind of tough because men, well, I can tell you one other thing. Uh, I, when I was working in Corpus, I never got any auditing work because or we are out of town because they didn't think I should travel out of town with the audit crew at that time. Mm. And so it made it very difficult for a woman to become someone who could meet with the bosses, who could help 
bring new business in. I mean, we managed to do it, but it was a difficult thing to do because we didn't go out and play golf. We didn't take them to dinner or lunch or things like that. Sure, sure. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. So you were with Deloitte, you said, until 86, 87? Is that right? Uh, 1985. 85. Okay. Okay. And then was it shortly thereafter you became self-employed or? Well, when I first left, another partner had just left and I went with him and he was doing a lot of real estate uh, consulting, auditing. And about that time, there was this big, big drop in Texas. You remember the Touche Ross did an awful lot of savings and loans here. And they all went out of business, I guess, in the late 80s. And this former partner, he handled most of the banking work and so forth. And so he decided to go with this real estate company who had bought a lot of land and was having a a lot of problems because he had this great debt and so forth. And and I went to work with them. And, And then I decided that, well, I think maybe I would rather get out on my own. So I did. That was in the late 80s. Okay. Okay. And I moved in with a, a young, oh, well, he was younger than I, man, who had been a supervisor when I was a manager, and he decided to start his own business. And so when I got on there, I said, well, would you like to have someone come in? I don't think we would be partners, but we could share expenses or something. And he said, fine. So I've been with him for 25 years or more now. So You still office with the same person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, and we're not partners. He has his clients and I have my clients. Okay. Okay. So what does your practice look like today? Well, I'm trying to cut it back, and I've done a little more of it every year. Okay. Um, I have an awful lot of uh, older clients, and I just want to stay with them because, uh, you know, they've relied on me for 50 years, so that's kind of where I am. It's a very small practice, and I do mostly work in, well, I do all work in tax, but I like trust in the states and doing state planning and so forth. Okay. Okay. What have you enjoyed the most about having your own practice? Well, I, I can set my own hours, which I'm not a very good person to do it because I seem like I work later and so forth than I should. I'm trying to cut back. But I have always been very active in outside activities. In fact, that's one of my problems. I spend too much time doing other things, and then I have to really work hard to get my clients work out, for instance, uh, active in the Austin chapter and the TSCPA. Okay. Okay. What have been some of the challenges along the way in having your own practice? On my own practice? You know, I've really not had any, I think it's finding help more than anything. I had some very, very good clients. I still have most of them, but unfortunately, uh, I have a lot still in corpus that I had back when I was in corpus many years ago. So I have to travel some to take care of them. So okay. Forth. Well, you, you have pretty good client retention then. If oh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm curious. I, it, we hear, obviously, finding good help or you know, the qualified help. Finding help uh, 
a challenge for sole proprietors and, and for firms in general. You've been printing in practice a long time now, though. Has that has that been a constant challenge, or do you just see it go up and down with the economy? Like we're in a strong economy now, and obviously the labor market's tighter. Or is that sort of always a constant? Yes, it, I think it is. And things have become more difficult in the auditing area. Changes are going on there. Tax is always changing, and it looks like it may change again. So, you know, there's, you've got to have somebody that's skilled, and we can teach them, but uh, having these constant changes, thank heavens for software that really takes care of a lot of that. But it's still, having to keep up with it is very, very difficult. And if you've got somebody who doesn't understand taxes thoroughly, there are so many things that you need to look at when you're doing tax work because there's three taxes that you look at every time you do a tax return. You do the regular income tax, you do the all-men tax return, and the most recent is the investment tax return. And those can be large additions to the regular tax in every one year, and especially if you're dealing with people who have a, a lot of different activities, which is generally what I have is somebody who has quite a few assets and so forth and have different business entities that you have to look into. Okay, okay. You you mentioned audit a few times. Do you still do audit in your practice? No, I have not done audits in years. Oh, well. uh, I did a few when I first went on my own, which was, you know, I had to find some help with that. And then, then I went into where I would just do prepare financial statements for either most of the time it's just a, a you know a combination of, anyway they're just don't require a great deal of additional work okay. okay but it still requires work it just that you have to I mean be familiar with how you're supposed to take care of forms and so forth okay okay so tell us about the scholarship you have a scholarship named after you is that with the Austin chapter of TSCPA? Or? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. How did that come about? Well, let's see. I believe it was in, in 2004. No, 2005. My husband at that time was had been diagnosed with esophageal cancer, which is pretty rare cancer and very deadly. And he was in, well, I guess I believe he was up in hospice at that time. Anyway, he was in a, a nursing facility, and I thought long and hard about doing this, but I decided I would go to the TSCPA annual meeting in San Antonio, so I went down there. And unbeknownst to me, the Friends chapter had nominated me for the Meritorious Service Award, which the TSCPA awards, it's its highest awards. And they have it every year. And when my name was called, I was completely astounded. And since I was the first woman to receive that award, the Austin chapter decided they would name their largest scholarship after me. I have been so, I mean, that has been such an impression on me. And I really have worked hard on seeing that those scholarships are, and I work on the scholarship committee both in 
raising money to, for the scholarships as well as the ones that we pick for these. And we have a, a full committee that works on these. And we, you know, we, we sit down and each of us give the rankings of everyone. And then we get together and we have this odd system where we take the numbers and figure out a way and then name them one, two, three, four, five. So, Okay. That's a hard decision to make, too. It is. It is. But, and it's a very good one that we don't, you know, have to have any say in it. It's, it's community say as to how we think what they presented to us gives a picture of someone who wants to be a CPA, will sit for the exam, and hopefully stay in the area or in the state or something. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I've served on the committee for San Antonio on that. And I know it's, it's, it's yeah. very difficult. You're, you end up picking hairs. You know? <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I sort of look at those students who are trying to get their fifth year through our community college. And, I, you know, they work and they have to do everything. And I really have a soft spot for them, I have to admit. So they may get a little bounce when I do my numbering. So. <laughs> well, you, you sent me a little information so that I could be prepared. And, and from what I see, this is going to be a first for me, but I, I think we should talk about Basset Hounds. Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure. Was we may be talking a long time then. <laughs> <laughs> was this a side business or a hobby? or? Was... Well, it wasn't even my hobby to start with. Oh, Okay. I don't know. Sometimes we were still in Corpus at the time, but there was a People's Choice was a television program back then, and and uh, People's Choice owned Basset Hound, and he, they're so funny that it became the rage, and so there were a lot of Basset Hounds. So we had just lost our little Boston Terrier, so we decided to get another dog. Well, Knox, my first husband, was always like this. He said, well, he just went down and he bought two. And we'd never been to a dog show or anything. But living in Corpus, every June, it has a naval air station down there. And every June, they have a Navy Relief Day. So and everybody goes out and enjoys the naval air station and its facilities. So they had a little, what's called a dog match. And so we took the two dogs out. And there was a, a professor from Texas A&I came over with a dog that didn't look anything like ours. It was... A really a beautiful dog. Actually, it was a female. And they won with his, and we came in second. So. Okay. And so we talked to them. He was a professor at uh, A&I, and we talked to them and got to be a big friend of theirs, and we found out where he got that dog. And so when we got home, Knox called a breeder and said, I want a, a dog that will beat the dog that beat us. and so we did acquire what we call molly molly and she became a a, a big show dog loved to show and had a lot of fun and so and she did beat the other dog and anyway that got us into the dog show business and we took dogs to fort worth and then back to austin and we had decided that we might not want to do a whole lot more breeding and we bought a a young female, and we're not going to be using her. So there was a, a colonel, a retired colonel in 
San Antonio. I think he's he's still there in the neighborhood. And we said, would y'all like to have this her in, because we're going to get out of this breeding program. It's a lot of time and effort and all that. So we did. And then they called about three or four years later and said, we're not going to breed her anymore, but she, this is the last breeding, but there's a dog in here I think you might like. And I got over there and it looked like a dog I'd seen very early on. And I said, oh, he's gorgeous. So we got that dog back. And his name was High Flight Briarcrest Butcher Boy. Well, it seemed like Butcher Boy was an excellent stud dog. And as a result, he is today the top producing basset hound <laughs> of all times. And he's got a picture hanging in the AKC Museum of Art. So he's a pretty well-known dog. <laughs> Butcher Boy? Uh-huh. Well, we called him Butch. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, wow. that's how we got into it. And we... Had so much fun. One of one of the dogs that he uh, he was the Syrup won the group at Westminster, which is a big feat, especially for a basset hound or in most hounds. Although one did win this year, and then we had no, it was a German Shepherd. Excuse me. Anyway, that was uh, a, a big experience, and and you know I've been to Westminster quite a few years. Uh, the last time when I got snowed in for five days, I decided I didn't need to do that anymore. But I did, oh, I know it. Some of our breeding came from a gal in Louisiana, and their kennel name was Bayou Cow. Well, she, like I say, most of her breeding was from Butch or, or down from Butch. And she said, I've got a, a dog here. Well, I co-owned a dog with her named Margarita. And she said, I've got a litter here with this dog that's really, really nice. Would you like to co-own him? And I said, sure, fine. So I do. Well, his name is Bayou Cow's Monkey on the Bayou. And he has started showing four years ago. And he's been the number one basset in the country for the last three years. And he's well on his way for this fourth year at this point. So that's how I got into basset hounds and what I've done with them. So... I didn't realize you, you still had a, a connection to it all. I thought this was something that had passed a few years ago. Oh, my gosh. She yeah. still co-owned one of the leading showing Basset Hounds. Is that yes. It? He won the uh, AKC. Uh, he was best of breed at AKC Yukonuba the last two years. And so, uh, you know, he he's won the national specialty. Uh, first year he was shown, he was uh, winners, and he won everything he could win there and anyway he's uh he's a great dog he's one of the really great dogs is this one of those hobbies that brings in a little income but ultimately you spend a whole lot more than you 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 ever make in (laughs) well we made a little bit with stud fees but we were always taking puppies or something but uh, it was never uh, well i can't say that because early on we thought we were in a business Uh And uh, we did try that, but it, it, it was just constant losses, so we decided that wasn't a very good idea. So it's been a hobby ever since. <laughs> wow. Well, this this is the first. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I don't think I'm going to get anything out of it, but the ads we place in the show magazine are pretty expensive, so... <laughs> but, uh, 
That is interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you. Well, I, I want to get to the, the last few questions of the podcast, but before I do, I, I have one more question. And it sounds like, I mean, you've, you've had such an eventful career and life and a lot of success. I don't know if you're going to have anything for this, but if you could go back and give your younger self a little advice, what would you say? Oh, I don't know. I did do an awful lot of work, but I don't regret it with local chapters and getting involved with that. So I'd, I'd give myself advice to do it again. I, I, I don't know that I really retained a lot of what I did. I, I think that what I did was pretty good in, in helping me get to know people in my profession and outside the profession. I've just had a wonderful career, and I really enjoy it. So I guess I would say you need to keep studying more, really learn about it. And, and I think I have done a pretty good job of that. But I might have gone back and gotten a master's, but I decided I didn't want to go back to night school and stuff. So Okay, wonderful. Well, I end every podcast with a few questions. Okay. Uh, first one, and usually the easiest, what, what's been your proudest moment? Well, I've, since I've had no children, I think that I have to say that receiving that Meritorious Service Award, I was so proud of that. And I still am. It, it's just something that I feel really did. Uh, just, it was an apex of the career, practically. Wow. And first woman to receive it. Was it was that the sta- at the state level? or? Yes, it was the state level. And there had been 50 awards before that. Oh, my gosh. I'm number 51. (laughs) Well, second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course. And the more colossal, the better. Well, when I was working in the Dallas office, they asked me to, they were looking at a new client, and we were going to have a meeting, and they asked me to work on some of the tax projects. I don't think I worked on it hard enough. And I said something in that meeting. (laughs) Anyway, those clients were not very, they did not praise me for my, for my activity. So I don't know whether they, I can't remember whether we, we lost them then or whether we got them. But uh, anyway, I felt bad enough there. So I learned from it is that when you're going to be something like that, you need to study. It really take a lot of time in in what you want to present, and I don't think I did. Mm. And that's why I made the mistake. Did you make a, was it a technical mistake where you gave them some wrong information, or you just... Well, I told them that we would help them do this, and they said, aren't we already doing this? I should have known that. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes, yes. Sometimes multitasking doesn't work out. That's right. (laughs) Well, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, I think it was from my mother. She taught me bookkeeping. And I remember when I sat down with her and she explained, these are debits and these are credits. Your assets are debits and your income is credits along with your bills and so forth. And I said, but mother, income is good for you. Why is it Uh, She said, you know, debits are good for you and credits are bad for you. And I said, why is income bad for you? 
just because you pay tax on it. So I think that's the reason I've kept that in my mind all these years, and I want to help people with their taxes. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, there's there's a cure for paying too much tax. You just don't make any money. It's not that's right. <laughs> <laughs> my father was a CPA, and that that was one of his slightly sarcastic comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. This, this is, has really been a pleasure. Obviously, the, the Basset Hound conversation was, was very interesting, and, and we got a little bit of a history lesson there as well, and that's one of my weak points, so I, I really, really appreciate that. Are there any final comments or anything else that, that you'd like to share at this point? Well, I think we pretty well covered everything that I've, you know, about my career. I've been very blessed. Now, I spoke about my husband a lot. This was uh, my husband actually died in the summer after I was awarded the meritorious. I did get to show him my medal. And uh, I was widowed for a number of years. In this past year, I met someone and we got remarried last December. So I had a Christmas present last December and I'm very happy about it. Oh, congratulations. Yes. I, and, I he's, and he's helping me with my accounting. Although he's a an electrical engineer. <laughs> Take help wherever you can get it, right? That's right. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I hope to get to meet you somehow in person someday. Well, I'm going to the annual meeting in, in June, so maybe we'll meet there. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank thank you. you. I appreciate it very much, and I've enjoyed this. You said I had a fun experience, and I did. Wonderful. Thanks. Well, you have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. As I alluded to earlier, Betty was a pleasure to interview. Excellent, excellent story. If you enjoyed this episode, we have a few other everyday accounting heroes from Austin that have recently been guests on the show as well. You may want to check out episode 30 with Matt Malcolm or episode 28 with Jesse Dominguez. Both of those are from Austin, and in fact, Jesse was the individual that originally recommended Betty to us. I hope you're enjoying the weekly podcast. If you ever have any feedback for us, please email us at info at whereaccountantsgo.com. That's I-N-F-O at whereaccountantsgo.com. We're always looking to make the show even better, so any and all comments are welcome. Stay tuned until next week. We have several other exceptional guests lined up. I very much appreciate your ongoing support. There's more to come.